this is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale, the nine-book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, D-E-B-B-I-M-A-C-K, Dot com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. Hi, everyone. Our guest today worked as a police officer and detective with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department up until his retirement. He's investigated a number of high-profile cases, including the armed robbery and kidnapping case brought against O.J. Simpson. His book, Room 1203, is the true true crime story of that O.J. case, the one from Nevada. That book has also provided the basis for a documentary, O.J. Guilty in Vegas. It's with great pleasure that I bring you Andy Caldwell. Hey, Andy, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you for that kind uh, introduction, and thank you for your time today. Well, I appreciate your being here very much. Um, Before we talk about your book, I have to say I was heartened by your philosophy of criminal justice. I like the emphasis on seeking solutions rather than vengeance. <laughs> has that been right. a, <laughs> has that been a difficult position to take in any way? Yeah, yeah sometimes. Um, you know, because sometimes, even in the law enforcement community, um, you know, people you get frustrated with suspects who are committing crimes, and and you just want them to pay right now. Um, and, and sometimes taking, uh, I guess. A more whole approach or a whole community approach um, isn't always the most palatable to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see it would be tough. Um, but I like the way you approach it, and in some ways it reminds me of Buddhism. <laughs> would you well, say- you know... Go ahead. I guess one of the things that I always embraced was the fact that when people commit crimes, they got to be held accountable for it, but it doesn't mean we have to hate them. Um, and, and sometimes um, there's this there's desire to, to just instantly be angry with the individual, um, and, and sometimes all that does is create barriers to actually um, holding them accountable and then trying to help them back on their feet. And if we can't help them back on their feet, then we just create a perpetual problem in society. Um, so at some some point in time, we got to try to help some people. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's great. Um, how long were you with the Vegas police, and how much of that time as a detective? Um, so just under 20 years, and I spent uh, about nine years as a detective. Mm-hmm. You would think I would know that right off the top of my head, but yeah, it was about nine years as a detective. Well, sometimes you just got to do the math. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, how did you end up assigned to investigate O.J. Simpson? Well, so um, I was assigned to the Robbery Homicide Bureau. 
I specifically worked robberies. Uh, and I would love to tell you that it was because I'm a crackpot investigator and they said, hey, it's O.J. Simpson, and we need our best guy on the job. <laughs> but the reality was the crime occurred in the area of town I was uh, primarily responsible for. It was the, the type of crime I was responsible for. So when it came out, it just automatically was routed to me. Uh-huh. So you sort of lucked into it, so to speak. <laughs> I guess it depends on your definition of luck. But yes, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's always been a hard case because it's so simple at face value. And yet it ends up being um, somewhat of a crowning achievement of my career, where so many of my other cases were so much more complex, so much more enjoyable. And yet this one ends up being the one I'm remembered for, which, you know, it can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yes, yes. Um, I thought you came up with a really cool idea, having your Facebook, uh, your book giveaway done on Facebook, where you challenged readers to post the funniest real O.J. Simpson quotes. Yes. <laughs> and I assume you're picking a winner from among those who enter in that manner. Yeah, and so luckily my wife, she put it on Pinterest also, and... Um, I think she did something on Twitter as well. She gave me a list of everything she had on her end. We had about, um, I think about 50 quotes to choose from. But yes, last night I went through and I, I picked I picked the funniest one and then the one I actually think would probably be the best to win the, the contest with. Can you uh, share some of the best of the bunch with us? Yeah, so I think my wife actually found the funniest one, uh -huh. um, and I just, I, I can't let her win, because that's just not fair, <laughs> but <laughs> she found one where he said, and, and this is OJ, saying, I don't understand what I did wrong, except live a life that everyone is jealous of. <laughs> and, oh, dear. And I thought, what, what an absurd thing to say, and so... Um, of all the quotes I had, I thought that one was uh, the funniest. Um, but it's my wife, so she couldn't have it. Um, but I think the more appropriate one, you know, given somewhat of the gravity of who he is and the things he's done in this past, um, Kathleen Templeton wrote, in America, you get as much justice as you can afford. And uh, that, in fact, was one of his quotes. And I thought, okay, <laughs> that's... Uh, that takes the cake. So that's the one I'm going to give the book and subpoena to. Oh, my goodness. Well, congratulations to the winner. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, my gosh. That is. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, what was it like to be part of that investigation? Just you know, um, it, it's hard because oftentimes, you know, people instantly associate him with uh, the homicide case in Los Angeles. In fact, um, e even today, if I tell somebody I was the detective who put O.J. Simpson in prison, they'll instantly look at me and they'll say, well, you don't look that old. And <laughs> you, you got to process through your mind, um, you know, what people think you went to prison for. Um, so there's so many misconceptions about being associated with the case. There's um, mm -hmm. So even getting assigned the case at the time, I think my partner and I know, knew that there were going to be problems associated with it. Um, you know, how it was going to be scrutinized, how we were going to be watched. And then people were going to think that we treated him differently because of, um, you know, presuppositions we held based on uh, what happened in Los Angeles. So, you know, 
the, being involved in the case was it truly was a roller coaster ride. Mm-mm. And I guess I should say has been a roller coaster ride because even today, you know, I, I still do the occasional interviews um, to promote the book. It was hard promoting the book because when we signed the contract for the A and E special, um, our ability to promote the book really was reduced drastically. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, can you give us a teaser of what you talk about in the book? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I think most people. Um, when they, when they find out or are interested in the topic of O.J. Simpson and true crime, you, you want to know um, about, about the crime. So if I'm going to give you a teaser. I'm going to tell you that the public perception that he stole his own property back is absolutely incorrect. Um, and, and, and I would love for people to actually take the time and read through the book and see how that's not correct. In fact, uh, how he represented himself, even at his parole hearing, was just factually not accurate. It's just there, there was no truth or basis in the truth. But I also think I like to share that in the book we, we talk about some of our personal interaction with him uh, and, and some of the odd behavior he displayed, in, mm. not just with me, but also with my partners throughout the investigation. But I think it's fascinating when you when you talk about it. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's funny, and, and I guess I make light of it in the book, and you know, I've heard some feedback that we shouldn't have made light of it, but, you know, um, it was funny at the time, and, and I still think back, and it was funny. It's funny now. And you can't please everyone. <laughs> you can't please everyone. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that kind of stuff is, is like, insider stuff. It's great. <laughs> but um... Right, you know, I, to me, it's interesting also, and for the most part, when most people ask, you know, they'll ask me, what was it like to interview him? Um, you know, when I write in the book there's this interesting moment when he answers the door where there's no getting around the fact that even as infamous as he is, you're still a little starstruck by the fact that you're standing in front of this, this man that, you know, whether you know from football, movies, the trial, um, it's still a little odd to stand there in front of him. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, and I guess I don't want to give away too much. I, I prefer mm -hmm. people read the book, but, you know, as, as a cop, what brings you back to reality was you know, recognizing that he was still wearing the same clothes days later that he was wearing at the robbery. And I knew that because I had the video of the robbery. So that kind of brings it full circle and, and kind of gets you able to focus back on the fact of, wait a second. <laughs> um, this is just the typical guy who commits any other crime and just focus on the fact that what he did and, and try to solicit out the facts and put a case together. Was there a reason for your writing about this case other than his celebrity? Um, so initially, I, I, you know, I don't want to give too long of an answer here. Initially, we turned down, we were contacted by somebody who wanted to write a book for me after the trial. Oh. We turned it down because we actually had no interest in this. And I say we, me and my family, because it's just a period of time we wanted to put behind us and just go on with my career because it did open some, some doors for me in my career. Um, never really gave any thoughts to writing a book. Uh, and, and just as years passed, uh, I thought, well, let me write something down for posterity. We were just going to self-publish a book. Um, again, I say we, my, me and my, my wife. Um, and we con contacted our neighbor and said, how do we self-publish? And our neighbor was a published author who said, no, 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 don't self-publish. Don't do it for just posterity. Write a book, <laughs> present it to an agent, and see what happens. And so it, it somewhat um, got a little out of hand on me, um, 
initially. It, it had its own legs. I don't know a better way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Once I gave it to my agent, she thought it was good. She promoted, presented it to um, a production company. They thought it was good. So then it kind of took off um, from there. So I say this to say the initial intent was just for posterity, but I'm not going to lie that it's nice to be a published author and it's nice to sell books and um, you know all the other perks that came along with it is wonderful. So even though it wasn't my initial intent, I have enjoyed that. Wow, that is really an unusual story for most authors. Most authors go into it wanting to be authors, you know? So to hear this perspective is really something. I like that. Well, there's no getting around the fact that it has, um, you know, given me interest to to write another book. Uh, I've started the the market research on it, and, um, you know, it, it, it definitely stirred an interest in me. Wow, that's really interesting. That's cool. Um... What, what kind of book would you imagine writing next? So what I'm working on um, is it, it, it'll go back to, I guess, a philosophy of um, forgiveness and accountability and, and how we can reconcile those two thoughts, how we don't just need to forgive everybody and still be true to our faith, whatever that faith might be, because all that does is enable people. It lets other people become victims. You know, we have to be willing to somehow reconcile forgiveness with accountability and, and just um, approaching it from a, uh, a perspective of Christian faith of how you can make those things work and it's actually the way we should be looking at it. Um, so that's ultimately the direction I've gone. I've already got a little bit written on it, uh, but you know, life is busy and you just... <laughs> I understand. <laughs> The nice thing is, is the anecdotes I can, I guess, include in it is I can include throughout the course of my law enforcement career of, you know, uh, the things I saw that were very admirable in, in, in the application of, of accountability and things that I thought were inappropriate in, you know, people just constantly forgiving and, and creating uh, almost a safe haven for addiction and mm-hmm. a safe haven for people to go out and, and continually, perpetually commit crime. Um, so the so. idea of some good middle ground, something in between completely forgetting and um, retribution or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and how the two can work together. You know, um, it's, uh, yeah, you know, you often say you can love somebody and you don't have to like them. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, <laughs> kind of the same thing is true. Um, you know, you can forgive somebody and not, you know, ride around in a car with them. Um, you know, you don't have to be best friends with somebody you forgive, but if you can't forgive people, you put yourself in your own prison, you make yourself miserable. Um, so, uh, you know, how can we embrace this concept of, yes, I'm going to move past this, but no, <laughs> um, you still need to be held accountable in, in our system of law. That just sounds like a fantastic book. Good luck with that. Well, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. I mean, I just like what you're saying so much. I just would love to see that in a book. Um, let's see. Uh, next question. Uh, what's the most interesting or funny experience you had while working with Vegas PD? <laughs> Dare I ask? <laughs> you know, one of those things is... Um, there's always something hidden in that question, and it's the perspective of the person is coming from, right? So, you know, for 
uh, for a police officer to ask that question, I know it's, there's some cynicism involved, and they're looking to hear something about, you know, um, the craziest pursuit you've been involved in. You know, if, if it's being asked by a citizen, they're, they're asking for something that's, that's not going to make them be shocked. Um, because I currently work around firefighters, I, I love sharing this story. My husband's um, a firefighter, so... <laughs> Well, then you'll love this. It's the, this, this wonderful difference between police officers and the firefighters in the public's eye. Um, I was working one night as uh, about a five-year officer, and this young man had been shot in the leg, and I was the first arriving unit, and he was bleeding pretty bad. Uh, and I knew I needed to stop the bleeding. Now, I could hear the fire department coming. You could hear the sirens. And, and so I knew I needed to apply pressure to the wound, and I, but I needed to see the wound. I needed to know what was going on. So I pulled the knife out of my pocket, my just the, the, the regular knife, the, the folding knife I keep even today. And I, I go to cut his pant leg, and the kid panics and says, you know, no, no, what are you doing? <laughs> and by the time I'm, I'm just kind of trying to figure out how to answer his question, uh, uh, one of the, the firemen, paramedics, come running up um, to kind of assess the scene. And he instantly makes the same assessment of, I need to see the wound. So he whips out his exact same knife from the exact same location, and the kid looks at him and says, oh, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> and I, I, I stepped back, and I thought, I was trying to do the exact same thing and help you, but... And <laughs> 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 so that's one of my lasting memories of the difference between the public perception and law enforcement and firefighters. So there's, I guess, one anecdotal sto story that uh, is lasting from my career. That, that, that definitely sums it up unfortunately for good real it's yeah um <laughs> that that is nailing it yeah um let's see uh what authors inspire you most so um i find that i like reading uh, philosophy and theology um my i guess absolute favorite author is, is david platt um and that's more, I guess, the theological realm. Um, when it comes to philosophy, I like William Lane Craig. Um, sometimes he confuses me because he writes at a level that I, I find myself, I'll read a page, um, he'll, he'll grab a concept like uh, infinity, and he'll, he'll write on it. And I'll read a page, and I'll find myself having to go back and reread the page thinking, okay, I thought I had it, but let me read it again. Uh, and I, I love people that challenge you like that. Um, so I guess, um, yeah, uh, David Platt would be my favorite author. Um, and then, um, yeah, I guess in a, in a different area, uh, William, Lake, William Lane Craig would be uh, probably a second, a close second. And um, let's see, you're a Dodger fan. I love baseball. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am oddly, I'm a huge Dodgers fan. <laughs> I am oddly both a Mets fan and a Nationals fan, because I used to live in New York and now I live in Maryland. And, but uh, go Dodgers as a former California resident. <laughs> good, That's good. Yeah, you're um, <laughs> the Nationals and Mets. I mean, you know, they, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what can they they could have done a little bit in the offseason to be a little bit better this year. But, hey, but yes, I, am, I, I love the Dodgers. Win or lose, I love them. Same here. I mean, I, I, th I just love the game, win or lose, no matter which team you know, I, I'm talking about. <laughs> 
I sat down with my uh, my daughter, my middle daughter, Mackenzie. She she loves baseball, and sometimes I think she loves it because I love it. And we sat down and we watched some of the great moments in baseball history. And she watched the Kirk Gibson home run with me. She watched Cal Ripken Jr.'s breaking the record. She watched Derek Jeter's last game. And it was so much fun to just sit down with my kid and enjoy those kind of historic baseball moments. Uh, yeah. It was a, a, really a lot of fun. Uh, those moments are really cool. I especially love the old one of the Dodgers winning the pennant. Where they go, no, oh my go crazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and those videos are so fun on YouTube. They are. Um, just, yeah. Good stuff. Indeed. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? <laughs> if I can get people to buy the book... Um... You know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I. Sometimes I feel like I don't promote it well enough. Um, but you know, it'll go back to the. You enter into a contract with a production company, and you don't know how far you can push. Uh, what limits? We're outside that the scope of that now. So I, I do need to get on to promoting the book now. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear people buying the book, and I love feedback, and I try to do my best to to respond to feedback. So. Uh, to make it personable, but uh, yeah, take take a look at the book, and um, you know, I think most people enjoy it when they take the time to read it. It's a different perspective of uh, what happened, and a different perspective on O.J. Simpson, I think. Excellent. And they can always find you on Facebook, and I assume on Twitter? Um, so my, actually, my wife does all my Twitter stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so the best way to find me is on Facebook. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. there you go. I, I turned it off for a while because I just got so tired of um, just the, the heavy political stuff. Um, oh, yeah. But then I found myself missing the funny political memes. So I found myself back on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting dichotomy. But anyways, so yes, I'm on Facebook. Very good. Excellent. Well, Andy, it was really great to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Debbie. I appreciate your time. And um, I appreciate yours. And thank you, listeners, for stopping by and lending your ears. As always, I'll remind you that we have the two Crime Cafe books for sale, the box set and the short story anthology, which you can find the links to them and my Patreon page on my website, debbiemack.com, D-E-B-B-I-M-A-C-K.com. I think it's time to come up with another special offer for the Patreon page. I have no idea what that's going to be yet, but I will let you know. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, and please leave us a review. I'll see you soon, and in the meantime, happy reading. (laughs) 